So we're back. We're back. We're back from our life is hard right now hiatus and because life just kept getting harder. Yeah, it's been pretty brutal. Yeah, um, just one thing after another. I'm also chewing gum in this. It's probably not a good idea. Uh, what, uh, what are the planets doing? I feel like I could right? blame it on some planet or its moon mm -hmm. i am a white girl with a nose ring so i should be able to say what happened um but i think i'll just go with the tried and true like earth it's earth yeah it's yeah. a shit show here yeah oh my god you guys have the cutest lawnmower do you think andy would mind if we took a picture of him doing it so we can put it on our podcast instagram <laughs> no. i mean he's even got the hat important part of yard work andy Oh, yard work, Andy. That's going to be the caption. <laughs> so, yeah, life was really fucking hard for a while. Um, but we're back. One might argue that it is still indeed hard, but I've gotten better at coping. Well, that's really good. Yeah. Because the other day I was just thinking about, I can't remember what it was. Like Dakota and I were talking about if I got like some sort of disease, my percentage for living was like 50% and lower. I wouldn't fight it and he was like oh so you're just gonna leave me here and I was like you overestimate my will to live right now yeah. I think it's safe to say that out loud I feel like it's a pretty collective feeling yeah it is for sure yeah so yeah life is hard still hard my brain is like who would take care of my plants <laughs> they would all perish <laughs> Just kidding. My sister would definitely take care of them. So there's no reason for me to be here. <laughs> oh, yes. Maddie the cutie pie. She's such a cutie pie. No. We'll, you know, we're going to leave this in so we can give her a little shout out. Shout out. How do you, like, how do you spell Maddie? Because when she messaged me, I said M-A-D-D-Y. It's an I-E for me. I fucking knew it, too. <laughs> as soon as I typed it out, I was like, I know it's an I-E, I bet. The why is so gauche. <laughs> also, <laughs> I was just thinking too, like for cutie pie, cutie is with an mm -hmm. IE. Yeah. So you got to do Maddie with an IE. I like how you went logical and I went pretentious. <laughs> so there you have it. I don't know if mine would be logical. <laughs> like, it sounded logical to me. <laughs> I really hope she gets a kick out of this episode. Maddie, I just want to let you know, I know we've never met in person, but I really do think that you're the cutest fucking human being in existence. A true cutie pie. <laughs> okay, so uh, shall we just get into it? Yes. What, okay. what book are we reading? Uh, we did Aristotle and Dante <laughs> discover the secrets of the universe because we have done very heavy topics. Yeah. But I would say that even though this was supposed to be a really cute YA book, um, I definitely went like a philosophy professor route with all the questions I have for you. I'm excited about it. I'm excited that um, you're taking the lead and I can just be a student for, um, you know, one more day. <laughs> a Libra enjoying somebody else making the decisions? Never. So weird. <laughs> and a Scorpio given the opportunity to leave like oh yeah this is a match made in heaven for today yes. so do you have your 30 second recap prepared no oh so i went full opposite okay um i did sort of skim my quotes that i had mm -hmm. put, put in my notes and i looked over some stuff 
Um, but this was red pre Life is Hard hiatus. Mm-hmm. And so I did some minor refreshing because mm-hmm. I was like, Anastasia's going to carry me through this <laughs> on her back, mm-hmm. up and down snowy mm-hmm. hills. We haven't introduced ourselves, I just realized. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? The chaos is fine. Right. Mm-hmm. This is Megan. That's Anastasia. This is like our first podcast all over again. It really is. And we're in person. Yeah. So that's a weird thing, too. It really is. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it, though. Like, it's it's fun. Okay. Okay. So 30 seconds. 30. Okay. I'll get my timer out. I wonder if it's going to be more intense um, since we're like... Neither one of us are prepared. Yeah. Well, also, we're just like here in person. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to... It's like hard not to make intense eye contact. <laughs> I know. I've been staring. I feel like I haven't blinked. I'm just looking at Salt. <laughs> we'll try to take some photos. Um, you said Andy took one of us already, did. didn't he? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you trusted Andy to take photos because... We'll see. Yeah. I'm the same way with Dakota and he like takes bad pictures on purpose. I have a little... Tr- I know. Um, as a Libra, that offends me. I yep. deep in my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm trying really hard to get it right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's still, our chaos king. I still love you, Dakota. But <laughs> wow. um, you have a tripod for this. I do. Okay, with it's... a clicky button. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay, we'll set something up a little bit later. But yeah. let's get this recap. So I'm gonna point this. At, I don't know. Never mind. That's not. Gonna I work. just need the sound. Okay. And go. Aristotle and Dante are two teenage boys that meet one summer, and they're very different. Dante is very emotional, and Ari is um, very stoic. And Ari saves Dante's life, and they may have feelings for each other. Oh, I got all the time in the world. There's also, like, some family drama in both scenarios. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're teenagers, and I enjoyed all the angst angst (laughs) okay ah okay i'm ready i don't know if i am i don't know if i remember how to use my timer okay not that i it's like we're you know dusting off everything for ourselves yes okay ready Mm mm-hmm Okay, so there's Aristotle and Dante. Aristotle is, is, like Megan said, a very stoic person. Dante's more outgoing and creative. I don't know why that just came to my mind. Anyway, they meet because... He's an artist. The, yeah, like he, he, they meet because Dante tells Aristotle that he can teach him how to swim. Aristotle doesn't have any friends. He's like, well, you know, why not? Your thing is going black. Um, and then uh, some really dramatic things happen, and they realize later on that they're in love with one another. Oh, my God, why did I feel like it was so... I didn't have any time compared to you. You're like, I have all the time in the world. And I was like watching it the whole time. Oh my god. Um, I have a button on my mic that has like a send time into slow-mo mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have that button. <laughs> Real talk, I actually thought that was a thing for a second. <laughs> like you were saying it like with such like a serious look on your face, like no hint of sarcasm like on your face at all. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was giggling inside. <laughs> That's where your Scorpio rising comes in handy. True. It really does. Because I feel like your Gemini moon is just like 
all up in your shit. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the internal internal giggling that wants to come out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first thing that we do is the first sentence review. Yeah. So, oh shit, is it a prologue or an epilogue? For the, prologue. Be, prologue. Okay. So I did two first sentences since there was a prologue in this book. So the first one that we'll be rating is in the prologue. Okay. And it's by Aristotle because he, it is first person narration. And he says, he begins the book with, the problem with my life was that it was someone else's idea. What do you think? I think it's like already setting the tone for how sort of philosophical this book can get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's like, I mean, I think we've touched on this a little bit in Mm -hmm. some previous episodes, but like none of us asked to be here. That's exactly (laughs) what I thought when I read that. I was like, he gets it. Yeah. He absolutely gets it. Um, I didn't consent to my existence. It's also very like intelligent. Mm-hmm. angsty teen because mm-hmm. he's 15 yeah yeah he's yeah, 15 at this point we didn't say that it was set in the 80s that's a big factor too yeah um because aids is a really big topic that they go over um later on in the book right when some homosexual th- themes come through which i loved <laughs> and the uh the 80s is another context for like, you know, it's not mm-hmm. set in the present where mm-hmm. the LGBTQ community still like faces a lot of things. But mm-hmm. in the 80s, you know, how mm-hmm. much worse was it? Oh, absolutely. So do you know what they called AIDS before AIDS? No, it's really I'm bad. I'm scared. It was called GRID, gay related immune deficiency. Wow. Yeah, because they just figured it was isolated to the gay community well they're dumb yeah that so that those are some things that come up later on for sure but again it's sets a really heavy tone yeah for a YA book like oh yeah very but also I squealed a lot so oh yeah it's like it's heavy but it's also cute yeah and just like like us yeah it's we're like, cute yeah but like internally there's a storm going on and there's there's darkness there <laughs> okay so that was the first sentence of the prologue so the first sentence of the first chapter again by aristotle was one summer night i fell asleep hoping the world would be different when i awoke Confet like you now you could look over at my screen if you wanted to but mm-hmm. believe me when i say i had highlighted both of those as like quotes that i right? liked anyway um, yeah. Who hasn't done that? Right? I mean, at this point, sometimes I'm like, I'd be cool if I didn't wake up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've really been in a life is hard. hard right now place. Life is really hard. So yeah, I'm actually really happy to be here. So I shouldn't make such dark jokes. I'm like, <laughs> if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be able to see you in yeah. person and make very heavy eye contact. <laughs> Yes, but I thought that those both of those were really good first sentences of oh. a novel to cap- capture your attention. Yes, and if you didn't immediately find them relatable, then, like, they at least made you, like, mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Enjoyed it. So, something I wanted to do that I wish we had done with um, Octavia Butler, 
is since this uh, book was written by a person of color, his name is Benjamin. Oh God, I wish all those years of Spanish would work um, for me. Um, a liar. A leer. A leer. A leer. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, I feel so terrible that I'm friends. Yeah, your French was like, I feel like it's still there a little bit. Like you got, you've got the accent. Yeah. Um, but I work with um, a Puerto Rican woman and a, a woman who grew up in Guatemala and Honduras. So oh, yeah. my Spanish, but when I talk to them too, sometimes French, French pronunciation and like random French words will sneak out and they're like, that's not Spanish. Mm. I'm like, oh. Yeah, but they're both Latin based, so yes, kind of like okay, they're romantic languages. Yes, exactly. Yes, I mean, I took four years of Spanish in college, and you're doing better than me, so don't worry. Okay, so he was born August sixteenth, nineteen fifty nineteen fifty four. So a Leo, um, and is an award winning American poet, novelist, and writer of children's books. Um, so. Fast forward to college, because I don't want to read his whole biography. Um, so he has a BA degree in humanities and philosophy. Oh, shit. I know. We really picked a good one. Uh, he studied theology in Belgium and was a priest for a few years in El Paso, Texas, before leaving the order. And then he returned to school in 1985 and studied English and creative writing and earned his MA degree in creative writing. He then spent a year at the University of Iowa as a Ph.D. student in American literature. And a year later, he was awarded a Wallace E. Stegner Fellowship. While at Stanford University, under the guidance of Dennis Levertov, he completed his first book of poems, Calendar of Dust, which won an American Book Award in 1992. He entered the PhD program at Stanford and continued his studies for two more years before completing his PhD. He then moved back to the border and began teaching at uh, the University of Texas University of Texas at El Paso in the bilingual MFA program. So, I mean, he really did the damn thing. Yeah. Lots of, I, I can relate to wanting all the education like that. An accomplished and educated man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is and he, I, is he gay? Uh, I don't know. It's just some of the experiences, like. Let's see. Oh, he did. Okay, so after 15 years of marriage to his wife, an El Paso family court judge. Oh, she was she was a judge. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this is not making logical sense. So his wife was an El Paso family court judge. They were married for 15 years, but then he came out as gay, and they filed for divorce in 2009. What a king. Wow. Good for him. Bless it. Yeah. So there you go. So one of the things that I thought of when I was reading this is because he is Mexican, I was like, I don't remember us ever studying Mexican philosophy. No. There was philosophy of law, philosophy of science, philosophy of sex, defining race, ethics, and morals, um, Eastern philosophy. Yeah. I was going to say, Dr. Carr did Eastern philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there was also like early philosophy or something like pre-socratic 
Pre-Socratic, yeah. That was it. So I Googled it to see how long Mexican philosophy has existed, and it's been around for 500 years with a heavy focus on ethical and political issues. That makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to go over was the idea of Mexican stoicism, because that's very heavy. That's a very heavy theme in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, So to give a little background and context on that, Aristotle is very um, Mexican presenting in comparison to Dante. Dante is very lighter, like he's much lighter skinned. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is a reoccurring issue is Aristotle's relationship with his father, Mr. Mendoza. I don't, do we ever hear their first names? I think we do, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I I know Sam's. Dante's dad. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Because it took um, Aristotle a while to be able to call him Sam. Yeah. And he kept pushing him too. Right. (laughs) It's Sam, please. Mm Mm-hmm. So Aristotle's father was like what you would consider a very like stoic Mexican man. He fought in Vietnam and that in and of itself is traumatizing as fuck. And so when he came back, it wasn't like he was the shell of who he used to be, but he was just so much more reserved. Yeah, Mrs. Uh, Mendoza said that like he still carries the war around with him inside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so but he still has that boy-like wonder that she fell in love with yes because they were they married before or after he went to vietnam before before okay because they met in college yeah he kind of like low-key stalked her oh i don't remember this i think he might have i can't remember (laughs) i can't remember (laughs) it was a different time it really was Oh, yeah, he did, because she finally confronted him and was like, yo, bro, are you ever going to fucking ask me out? Okay. So. Um, so maybe, you know, not stalking in a creepy way. Mm-hmm. Do you remember How I Met Your Mother? Did you watch that show? Um, I watched part of it. I stopped a certain ways in. Mm-hmm. I did not watch the ending, but I heard that it was terrible. And also, basically, Ted Mosby is a creep. Absolutely. But they had this theory on the show that they talked about the Dahmer versus Dobbler effect. Okay. So Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh-huh. And then what was his name? So, like John Cusack's character and Say Anything was something Dobbler. Okay. So based on how the behavior is received gives it either the Dobbler effect when he's outside holding the yes. jukebox over his head, like pining for the girl, like waiting for her to forgive him kind of thing. Yes, the romance. Mm-hmm. It's a romantic gesture. The romance. <laughs> and then, but if you weren't into the person, the behavior would come off very like stalkerish and creepy like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. So that was the thing. Um, but yes, so that's what happened. I guess it was a Dobbler effect for Mrs. Mendoza. She was down for it. As naive t- teens and 20-year-olds will do yes. sometimes. Been there, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of behavior that I romanticized back in the day that didn't work out for me. Thankfully, it did work out for the Mendozas. Yes. They very much loved each other, and it was a very healthy, stable relationship. And another thing for Aristotle that he struggled with beyond his own father's stoicism was that his brother was jailed. Yeah. Um, And no one in the family would really talk about why, too. So there was some secondary trauma issue there. Mm -hmm. 
and like he sort of struggles throughout the book with his family as being treated as like because he was he's much younger than his siblings were Mm -hmm. and so he sort of struggles with being treated like a child or like a baby by his older sisters and Mm -hmm. in just not being like on the same page as everybody else in his family especially Mm -hmm. about what happened with his brother yes because it was his mom actually who was very secretive because it was a pain too much for her to bear because she felt she was grieving an ambiguous loss of her child. Right. Because they know they did not speak to him. Did we, did we find out, we found out in the first book that he was there for manslaughter, Mm -hmm. but did we find out why in the first book or in the second book? In the first book. Okay. So I think it's safe to say, so his brother had hired a sex worker thinking that they were a woman, but it turned out to be a man, um, a transgender woman. Right. And was so offended that he beat her to death. So very violent, very just... But Aristotle does not find that out until way later. Yeah. It takes, like, the death of another family member, which I think is another really related thing. So, like when something in the family big happens Mm -hmm. like truths start coming out Mm -hmm. and his aunt ophelia yeah that was who who had passed she passed away and then she was a lesbian too she was yeah and Mm -hmm. also like really close or really really cared about ari Mm -hmm. um and when the brother's trial was going on, it's, like, revealed that Ari lived with her for several months. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. And he didn't know, like, he didn't remember it because he was so young. He just thought, mm-hmm. yeah, I used to stay with her a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But his dad says, your mom had a breakdown and mm-hmm. we sent you there for, like, nine months. Oh, yeah, that was, that was how long it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, anyway, there's just, like, that's revealed and when aunt ophelia passes away and then they also finally are like there's too many secrets in this family mm-hmm. this is what happened with your brother yeah because she had a file yeah about his brother mrs mendoza did i also think it's very important to mention that aunt ophelia was mrs mendoza's sister and she loved her very much and she knew that she was a lesbian the entire time and so did mr mendoza and beyond oh beyond i bet that's target um, beyond um, Mrs. Mendoza, Aunt Ophelia was Mr. Mendoza's favorite person in the entire world. They were very close. Right. So, yeah, there's, but these are things that are slowly revealed throughout the book. And that's almost, it's almost like a painstakingly slow, like, glacier this this book takes place over like almost two years and mm-hmm. i would just say like you feel it not in like a mm-hmm. bad way mm-hmm. but it is really realistic in the way that like as someone who reads like really quick plot uh mm-hmm. ya books this one was very different because like a new like hijinks or twist wasn't happening mm-hmm. like at the start of every chapter mm-hmm. the pace was intentional yes that, so that's what i was trying to say the uh Meryl Streep, by all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. It's a perfect one. Yes. But you can feel Ari's resentment building throughout that pace. Yes. Because going back to Mexican stoicism, uh, it was 
really he felt like it hindered his ability to be close to his father yeah and he was he had a great relationship with his mother but there was resentment because she was the one that was blocking any knowledge about his brother coming forward because he was so young when his brother went to jail Mm -hmm. and i mean he's he's in it for life i believe yeah um so yes okay so here's a couple of things that I pulled from an article uh, where I looked up Mexican Stoicism. So one thing that I pulled out was, uh, on the other side, the tyranny of American optimism has driven Americans to neurosis and depression when the dream is elusive or less meaningful than the myth promised. So in this article, they were comparing the cultural the cultural differences between Mexico and America, where you have this American optimism, whereas in Mexico you have more of a stoicism present. And so the comparison was that American optimism may have a shiny facade, but it, in the end, the dream has always been elusive or less meaningful than the myth promised. And I would say with this manufactured culture war that we're currently in, we're finding that to be true. I'm finding that to be true. I don't want to speak on the collective's half. So my question to you, Megan, is how do you feel about that quote about American optimism? I think it's um, a really, really well digested lie that we've been fed (laughs) because it doesn't take into a context of like privilege or consumerism or capitalism mm-hmm. yeah I actually it reminds me of something that I remember reading in the book that um, the boys are like trading like gentle insults mm-hmm. and one of the things that they both sort of relate over is that they don't know if they're Mexican enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and especially Dante Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're trading little jabs, and Ari is like, I'm the um, grave Mexican, and you're the optimistic American. Mm-hmm. Dante's like, is that supposed to be an insult? <laughs> <laughs> so, well um, played, Dante. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's yeah, I agree with the, the quote. I think it makes mm-hmm. sense, and I think it's something that, like, is uh, irresponsible to mm-hmm. continue. Continuate? To, per, like... Perpetuate. Perpetuate. You're trying to do continue and perpetuate in <laughs> one word. Right. Yeah. Continuate. Let's just do it. Yeah. Title of the episode, Let's Continuate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So to go a little bit more into that, I had another bullet point. I said, I think it's especially true for the majority of Americans. The dream can be elusive or less meaningful, but more so, it's often not attainable. Therein lies the real tragedy, which lends itself to this question. Megan. Oh my God. Is it better to anticipate suffering as an unavoidable fact of life? And that's where we see Mexican stoicism. Or is it better to move throughout life with blinding optimism? And that would be Amer- the American optimism. I, and actually that question is so long. My brain was like, oh my God, you're on Jeopardy. Don't forget to say what is. Um, <laughs> Do you want me to say them again? No, it's okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay. What is, I would say that I would lean more towards understanding that suffering is an inevitable part of mm-hmm. life. 
mm-hmm. because um, it just it's like more relatable and to me like not better but like once you have that understanding you can also like appreciate the times when you're not suffering a little Mm -hmm. bit better maybe Mm -hmm. so that's me putting like a light spin on a heavy topic yeah well do you think that they're mutually exclusive like can you remain optimistic even if you even if you accept that suffering is an unavoidable fact of life Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, yeah, probably. I don't know what optimism feels like, though, so it's really hard for me (laughs) to answer that question. Well, Um, I'm a dumb, optimistic bitch sometimes, (laughs) so I don't know. I feel like for myself, the reason I think that, too, is because I go into every situation as a cheerleader and an advocate for whatever environment that I'm in. So I feel like that's why, like, I approach things with a certain level of optimism, but there is underlying cynicism. Yeah. And skepticism. I think so. So I would say that, like, you're a great example of both. Oh, thank you. Um, Because... That was not intentional. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I've been waiting to talk about this for weeks. (laughs) I've had these notes prepared. We're going to make it about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I think... You're right. I think it can be both. I read a little bit about stoicism because my sweet husband, who's also a philosophy grad, has a text called Letters. Um, No, a text called Seneca, Letters from my Stoic. Mm -hmm. And it's like letters that Seneca, a Stoic philosopher from ancient Rome, I believe. Wasn't? No, Seneca was... Who was... Wasn't that the dude from Hunger Games too? Like the Like the game master? Seneca. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. Well, now I'm like, I didn't know that. So I'm like, oh. Well, he was like the tutor to Emperor Nero. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he also lived in exile for several years. And so these are the mm. letters he wrote while he was in exile. And that mm. was like what my husband was reading as a bedtime story uh. for a little <laughs> while. Um, <laughs> all of that to say, I had a text on stoicism in my home already. <laughs> And like I it's part of it is understanding that suffering is part of life, but it's also like really emphasis on living by like quote unquote nature's law, which is I like that's a part of stoicism that's always resonated with me. Right. And then the other one was that um, it's almost like do not be aspirational or, or maybe not don't be aspirational, but like. If you are and it doesn't work out, you just have to accept it. So it's like basically mm-hmm. an acceptance of whatever comes your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and not almost like an, uh, with that acceptance comes the like uh, peace. Not necessarily yeah. happiness, but like a peace. Yeah. And so I think what you kind of touched on is a little bit of priority. The reason that my brain went there, I'm going to try and, and follow that train of thought because my brain brain literally went like 10 different directions well my brain started singing the taylor swift song so (laughs) (laughs) when you were talking about stoicism accepting that suffering is a natural part of life and in that acceptance and in that knowledge you can find contentment and peace yeah not necessarily happiness just like peace yeah you you understand and 
I mean, I guess getting obnoxiously philosophical with it, I mean, I would kind of describe contentment and peace being synonymous with happiness. That would, that would be how I would define my happiness. Okay. And so I wonder then this like American dream, like this American optimism. I don't think it's peace. I don't think so either. It's like hustle. Right, exactly. They've, con- they've, those at the top with the power in order to perpetuate their power, have determined what is valuable and then they've impressed that on the collective and that was boxed as this American dream. So there was this sense of optimism of reaching and attaining this dream. Yeah, and you do that only through hard work and not asking anyone else for help. Never. (laughs) Never ask anyone for help ever. We're very individualistic here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's a manufactured dream, whereas in... Mexican stoicism what we see is that they're like no man like it's all an illusion life can be hard and it sucks a lot of the time but as long as we know that and we have each other then we'll be fine yeah when we're like we know that that's a part of life so when it comes it's like hello, I've been expecting you, and Mm. I'm prepared to process this. Preparation. That's a really (laughs) good thing, because I don't think anybody, I don't want to say anybody, but I I don't think that that's something that is prioritized in America, is having the tools to prepare yourself for when things do go to shit. Right. Because all you're taught is keep going. Yeah. and Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And every time I think about that, I'm thinking about like the little flap on the back of my converses. And like if I yanked on those hard enough, I would somersault. So like I don't, I don't <laughs> know where that expression makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't either. I, for some reason, World War II is coming to my mind. Like maybe it was something coined at that point. We should stop saying it because it's nonsense it's absolutely fucking bullshit mm-hmm. okay i'm glad that we got that out of the way <laughs> um yeah i'm trying not to get like overly worked up because i don't want your mic to pick up my like uh, <laughs> anger <laughs> and i think we already went over this but i had this listed as another bullet point other under mexican stoicism was ari often wondered about his father how was i supposed to know him when he wouldn't let me so I think that's the the flip side to the coin of Mexican stoicism is that it can create barriers, not boundaries, but literal barriers or figurative and like literal barriers between you and other people because you've dedicated so much time to protecting and preparing yourself that you're forgetting that part of what makes life so peaceful is family and community yeah and i i also think like that sort of preparedness side can be a good thing of like accepting the fact that suffering is going to come your way but um or you know whatever comes your way comes your way and that's Mm -hmm. accepting you accept that Mm -hmm. but also like and can see a scenario where this man who has um post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. and um probably like depression Mm -hmm. on top of that he saw his best friend die in front of him yeah didn't he that was part of it well and like he has he can't 
shake the fact that he should have went back for him or carried him out like no mm-hmm. man left behind was a big deal mm-hmm. and oh but these are american philosophies that's true mm-hmm. that's a individualistic sort of way to look at it but mm-hmm. but anyway i think when you have those um sort of like this is the way that it is mm-hmm. thoughts then it can be really hard to see like how changing is possible mm-hmm. and like seeking help is possible mm-hmm. um because it's like well this is my lot in life mm-hmm. maybe so yeah and also i wanted to make a little bit of a correction when i said that part of what makes life peaceful is family and community i understand that for some people family is not peace it's toxicity and chaos yeah um but it's not the case for them right. this family is actually once the walls and the barriers start coming down, they're very, they're very loving. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of love present there and there's a lot of support. So for him, it was, yeah. And that's what he's like looking mm-hmm. for. His, mm-hmm. his older siblings have moved out and he kind of feels just like mm-hmm. the baby in the household. But he's really, I think, looking for like stronger relationships with both of his parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can relate yeah so i think that that really does illustrate the duality present in the family of like they've got to be more mexican than the mexicans and they've got to be more american than the americans yeah. and it's how do you blend the two to find a healthy balance right and i think that's what we kind of discover along the way with ari and dante so your thoughts on stoicism have um kind of made me think about um how it can maybe have the dark side of like Mm -hmm. continuing toxic masculinity (laughs) yes which i know is pretty heavy issue in in mexican culture too yeah well when like where is it not i I, that's true maybe italians i don't know (laughs) french the french yeah yeah so anyway i just uh Mm -hmm. some of the things that i was like kind of curious about were like what parts of sort of the toxic masculinity that we know did you notice did you see in ari and Mm -hmm. in mrs or mr mendoza Mm -hmm. and like uh, also like the contrast between that father and son and Mm -hmm. the dante and sam yeah the quinadas yeah i think dari or dari celebrity we've created their celebrity name (laughs) aristotle and mr mendoza the that father-son dynamic i think ari could not see just how much he was like his dad because the complaints that he had about his dad we saw echoed in the characters at his high school and the way that they thought of ari yeah he didn't talk to anybody he didn't have any friends and he didn't really care to And people assumed that that was arrogance because he is a very smart kid. Well, he did have a quote that was, see, the thing about guys is that I didn't really care to be around them. (laughs) And I was like, slow clap. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Men are trash. Sorry. Sorry, guys. No, not sorry. The (laughs) ones that aren't trash will know. They won't get upset. If you get upset about me saying men are trash then this isn't you're not there 
You should get the fuck off of this podcast. <laughs> but subscribe, but don't listen. <laughs> um, yeah, so I... Shit. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, my anger came out a little bit. And I'm like, oh my God, make peace. <laughs> Libra. <laughs> the Scorpio in me is just like, fuck you guys. Yeah, so I think Ari, Ari didn't realize just how much he was like his dad. And in contrast to Sam and Dante, very openly affectionate, very physically, like, they hug and they kiss. They're, they they communicate. Yeah, there's no topic that's, off, like, off, what's the word? Off limits. Yep. Like, it's so open, and I know that that was, like, a, a shock to Ari. It was a shock to me. It was to me, too. I was like, oh, what's that like? <laughs> you have a dad? <laughs> what's that like? <laughs> Being my like, having an easy, everything, like, me, not, fuck, me, I'm like, pre uh, the passing of my father mm. with my dad, and then, like, other father-son father-daughter mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. and being like wow like you guys like each other but you went in the direction of you have one oh my god <laughs> i know what's sad is that your dad is dead and mine is alive and i feel like you have more of a dad than i do yeah. Darkness. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I got a little back sweat going. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was more towards me, where I'm like, "Oh, you have a present father? What's that like?" <laughs> mm, I'm can't sure. say at the moment. <laughs> uh, you know what? I fathered myself. I fucked up a lot, but I fathered myself. So you know what? Happy Father's Day to me. Happy early Father's Day to me. My brain was like, she's like one of those Greek myths where she just emerged from someone's <laughs> forehead and was like, I will parent myself. Um, yeah, that pretty much happened. Um, <laughs> and then when I reparented myself, I had a much better relationship with my mom. So it was perfect. Yeah. I don't know where we were going with that. The uh, contrast yeah. between the two. They're very different. Uh, very different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so did you have anything else that you wanted to go over in that? Because I've got a new topic for us to go on. You go right ahead. Okay. So I noted that there was a struggle, um, that existed within Aristotle. So he kind of pendulum swings between nihilism, which I tried to make as succinct of a definition as I could which is almost impossible in philosophy. Yeah. But nihilism can be defined as the denial of the existence of genuine moral truths or values, rejection of the possibility of knowledge or communication, and then the assertion of the meaninglessness of life or of the universe. And the last part is the part that, like, when you hear me joke about nihilism, it's... It's that. It's that. Yeah, that's the that's the piece that everybody holds on to right. for sure. It's the most popular one. So he pendulum swings between nihilism and then existentialism, which is confronting the human condition and its inherent problematic nature. That's the one that nobody wants to do. Correct. And nihilism is under the umbrella of existentialism. 
Which is funny because I'm pretty sure nihilism birthed existentialism. I think it's the other way. Was it? I just okay. Which came first? <laughs> um, I'm sure the 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 ideas existed yeah. probably at the same time. Yeah. I and I didn't write that down, so I'm not gonna act like I know shit. Listen, listen. Let me name drop. Okay. Who came first, Nietzsche or Kierkegaard? Oh boy. Yeah. You like that? Oh. You like that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Was it Kierkegaard that had the that did a priori and a posteriori knowledge, or was that Kant? I don't remember. So any credit that I got for just knowing those philosophers, you can take it back. <laughs> no, I mean I don't know anything about. <laughs> I can't tell the difference between Kierkegaard and Kant right now. So, <laughs> I mean, it was what almost ten years ago that we graduated. I thought you were about to talk about when Kant was alive or something. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Like a decade ago. <laughs> he was alive in our hearts. Um, so, yeah, um, I pulled some quotes from the book. So th- the first one um, we already talked about in the prologue, the problem with my life was that it was someone else's idea. Mm-hmm. And then better to be alone and miserable, better to drown. Very nihilistic. Also just like wow right this kid i wish emo music could i guess he could listen to the smiths but like yeah the smiths the cure (laughs) uh what echo and the bunny man yeah so you just you know you gotta find which doesn't he talk about not really like caring about music and dante is like what yeah i mean (laughs) ari is just like he's a nihilist in the beginning and then dante brings out the existentialist him. i would think um, cause homeboy <laughs> didn't give a fuck. I was like the, the, the angst. Like, oh, I wrote that down in the book. I was like, the angst is real. And the, um, just, you know, he would have a dyed black swoop in 2003. <laughs> 100% he would. <laughs> um, so some <clears throat> other quotes that I had were, I like being alone. I know you don't understand that about me. So these are all very nihilistic quotes. But then this is kind of where we see a turning point for him was the overwhelming vastness of the universe. And in that, Ari finds meaning and discovers he mat- matters every time he stargazes. So beautiful. I know, right? Which is interesting. Sorry, I know you have no, a question, but no. like that's in- so interesting because I feel like a lot of the times when people stargaze and then get a sense of like how minuscule they are mm-hmm. in the scope of the universe, it can lead to like the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, like I do not matter, mm-hmm. which I find enjoyable because it like is pretty freeing, but I could mm-hmm. see someone else, maybe Ari, it mm-hmm. like reinforcing some of the like. Mm-hmm. heavy nihilistic like when mm-hmm. i was reading this part of me was like is this boy gonna try and oh yeah i i was kind of wondering if he was too um, well because he just like showed zero emotion mm-hmm. um and actually what you said was my question because i i wrote down that i personally felt feel as though when i stargaze that i don't matter and that actually brings me relief so one in the same Sorry I cut you off. No, don't be. We're one and the same. Like, I love that you got there without me, like, potentially leading you. I like, because your response is more genuine that way. Our brains are 
in the same place mm-hmm. literally today too oh my god they are <gasps> yes um so yeah like one thing where he like ari like shows zero i gotta burp emotion is um so we talked megan in her summary talked about how dante gets hit by a car i said <laughs> said that ari saves dante li- dante's life oh yeah that's right left out the traumatic car crash yeah it's because um, dante this would be you and me yeah you're dante and i'm ari so dante sees a bird in the middle of the street <laughs> and is the bird injured yeah and he goes to save it and he doesn't see that there's like a car rounding a corner and it's raining and that car is speeding because they're in a residential area so that car is an asshole right and ari lets out like a scream and like lunges at dante to push him out of the way and the car actually hits ari instead yes and he breaks both of his legs breaks both of his both of his legs one of his arms right yeah um, so he's almost in a full body cast and Dante got away with like just a broken arm or something. So, yeah, like very, something very small. minor. Yeah. And so Dante's parents like swear their fealty to <laughs> Ari after that because they, they've kissed the ring. <laughs> they absolutely have. Um, <laughs> and that was another thing when Ari was in the hospital, like Sam and I can't remember Dante's mom's name. They they cried. They were like, "Our son would not be alive if it weren't for you." Yeah. And they and so they expressed that appreciation. And Ari's, you know, dad and mom are there. They're a little bit more reserved, but they are very thankful that Ari is alive. And then when Ari gets out of the hospital, one of the first things that happens is Dante bathes him. Yeah, a sponge bath. Yeah, because he can't do it on his own. And Dante starts weeping. And Ari's like getting mad. Yeah. He's like, I should be crying. Why are you crying? But he's not crying. No, he's. It's all on the inside. Yeah. And like, he just carries so much resentment and like angst. And I say Mm -hmm. that like in the true sense of the word, not like Mm -hmm. me jokey. No, he's a very angsty fuckhead. Yeah, Um, (laughs) at sometimes like when he is thinking and he's not in such a negative place, like Mm -hmm. it's like almost poetic. Yes. And then there's just like him being a fuckhead Mm -hmm. and getting angry at things, Mm -hmm. which you know he is dealing. I yeah, I mean it is, and I think it's like a lot of he's got a lot of things that he's working Mm -hmm. through, and Mm -hmm. also like he's learning even if he doesn't realize it, that when you go through trauma, mm-hmm. um, you bottle it up. Or, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you... Like, his dad, his, his dad is modeling how to process trauma, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, like, that's what... Whether he realizes it or not, that's mm-hmm. what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And the trauma is, like, you know, secondary response mm-hmm. to his father, to, mm-hmm. like, the secrets that are being kept from him about his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like, mm. and this is, you know, maybe not trauma, but like mm. some internalized homophobia. Oh no, that's traumatic for sure. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, because Ari doesn't know he's gay yet. Yeah. That's a, I just think that's like another mm. thing where he has like discussed towards like 
outwardly and I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for me to um, put in another quote where Ari slams dudes but he says um boys I watched them studied them in the end I didn't find most of the guys that surrounded me very interesting in fact I was pretty disgusted (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh and I think uh, an important point to bring up too is that Ari's a fighter like literally oh yeah like physical yeah because Dante was caught kissing a boy and then a bunch of dudes beat him up and Ari's like, uh, no, bro. Yeah. I will fuck you up. And he does. So that internalizing, internalizing all of that trauma is coming out in these angry outbursts. Right. So a literal illustration of what toxic masculinity can do. And I don't think that really goes away for him either. When Even as he starts to move through and heal from that. I agree. Which honestly, I love because sometimes I feel like if I could like physically hurt somebody that's hurt me, like I'd get over it. That's the Scorpio, the toxic Scorpio. <laughs> I was just like skimming that that book, um, Letters from a Stoic, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they were talking about how much poisoning was going on, like as. Mm power shifted in political hands and like somebody was poisoned and then like a few lines down and then that person was poisoned and then this person was poisoned. so (laughs) when you were like when I could physically hurt somebody and my brain was like when I could poison someone I would just (laughs) I would get through it all (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh yeah um no mine would be it wouldn't be subtle like we would have to the fisticuffs like, I, I, I'd give it a fair shot. Like, we go into this fight as, like, a mutual, like, we're getting all of our anger out towards one another in this fight. And when the fight is done, we're done. Like, you let go. Yeah. It's like a physical release until sort you, of thing. Until you crave more blood. <laughs> Which is probably why I've never actually done this. <laughs> um, because that's a slippery slope that we don't want to get in. Yeah. Go- continuing on, I think... Going back to Ari and his father, they actually, when Ari is in this accident, it's a wake-up call for his dad. And so he starts to open up more to Ari. And the more that they open up to one another, the more they're able to heal all of that internalized toxic masculinity and trauma. And, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and and Ari gets to feel like some sense of like acceptance from his father too, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think he realized he was seeking. Yeah, you never do until it like bites you in the ass. Yeah, when one day you wake up, in my situation, you're like, I've had a string of really terrible relationships with very toxic men. Weird. Wonder why that is. So strange. <laughs> So I think that's a good way to get us to the kind of like the end of the synopsis of the book so I can get into the other questions that I have for you. So Ari and his dad are starting to get closer and closer. And then his dad's like, yo, did you know you're in love with Dante? And I was like, the audacity (laughs) Um, to just come right out and ask. But I mean, 
Oh my for gosh. For like a super thoughtful kid. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. I just thought of a really funny pun. <laughs> the odd dad city. Oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the odd dad city of it all. <laughs> yeah. That was good. No. <laughs> I'm like so proud of it. Applause button. <laughs> Uh, and which is it's like it's layered because it's also a dad joke (laughs) i know yeah okay the duality of a pun and a dad joke (laughs) i'm gonna on dad city (laughs) okay i'm gonna stop before i get the uncontrollable giggles (laughs) um so this is my dumb optimistic coming out (laughs) everything will be okay (laughs) As long as I can make corny puns and dad jokes. <laughs> okay, yeah. So his dad is like, yo, so do you know this about yourself? And I feel like you have stuff to say now, so you go. Um, I, yeah, that scene was just, like, pretty rough. And mm-hmm. also, like, I mean, rough, but, like, cute as well. Mm-hmm. And if you look, like from the pulled back viewpoint Mm because you're seeing everything through Ari's point of view and Mm -hmm. he's like "Mm -mm, no thanks not me not I oh because Dante's even kissed Ari yeah at this point Mm -hmm. and And he was like I feel nothing such a fuckhead (laughs) (laughs) yeah we ran around Mm -hmm. naked in the rain but no Mm -hmm. I feel nothing (laughs) That and, and is his mom with him too, or is that later? Like, I can't remember. I feel like it's later, maybe. I think so too. I think it's a conversation between him and his dad because his dad is like, I don't want you to ever like push away who you really are and what makes you happy. He's like, basically, like, don't be like me. Yeah, because is it they're in the truck, like driving to mm-hmm. Ophelia's funeral or back from it or something. Like yeah, that. it's near the end of the book, because yeah. this is the whole reason that I like immediately started reading the second book was because he takes Dante out stargazing. And he's like, kiss me again. Mm-hmm. And Dante's like, no you kiss me (laughs) which what a petty queen so cute okay it's not petty is it petty i don't know it's i just thought it was admirable i think it was really true sassy sassy that's the word i'm looking for dante is sassy oh i fucking love dante Mm -hmm. we didn't really cover him a lot in this but because you're just in ari's head the whole time but dante is just a fucking bubble of joy yes i love him um yeah so he's a sassy queen he's like no you kiss me his only real like his only real angst is the whole like i'm not mexican enough Mm -hmm. thing yeah for sure i love him Mm -hmm. also like clearly gets to and is more open to the idea that he is gay Mm -hmm. and um is like i want to figure this out so i'm gonna kiss some girls and i kiss some boys Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um it's just more and more apparent, like, the type of uh, ways that he has learned to communicate and mm-hmm. process versus, like, from his dad versus, like, mm-hmm. Ari and his dad. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they could be, they were an ex- a good example for Ari and his dad, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because they all became very close 
after, especially after the accident, Mm -hmm. pretty much how it ends is his dad is like, yo, you're gay. And Ari's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) And then he thinks over it for a little while. And he's like, maybe I am. Yeah, I think that they, like, I think he does finally get to that conclusion, like, Mm -hmm. with the help of his family. Yep. And then... He goes out, he takes Dante stargazing, he's like, kiss me again, and Dante's like, no, you kiss me this time. And then the way that he says it, he's like, and then I kissed him, and I kissed him, and I kissed him, yeah. and I kissed him. And I was like, I'm definitely reading the second book right now. Right. Which, by the way, do we want to do a part two for the second book? Did you finish it yet? I haven't finished it yet. Me either. I, Goodread says I'm 80% of the way done. My life is hard started. Yeah, I started reading some smutty smut smut. I also like got a real bad feeling that like the dog legs was gonna die in the second one. Oh yeah. And I started getting that like sense and I was like, I can't I can't do this right now. Mm, it's not the dog. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell you what death there is. That's but good. Be I don't pre- want to be spoiled, but I am happy to know it's not the dog. Yeah, you just be prepared, okay? Okay, okay. Okay, so we'll do a part two. So the first question that I have for you is, Don or Aristotle always talked about feeling real. So what does it mean to you to feel real? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily feel real. I feel like corporeal like I have a body mm-hmm. I have that feeling for sure mm-hmm. um, during my life is hard phase I mm-hmm. fell down my back stairs and conked my head mm-hmm. um, and I was like oh yeah I'm real <laughs> I'm real fucked up um, <laughs> physically and so there's that but I get the sense that like that's not what you really mean like I mean, it can mean however you want to mean it. Because I feel like realness is such a subjective definition. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it because it makes me too uncomfortable with the, like, mm-hmm. the simulation theory. I was literally just thinking about the brain and the vat theory. Yeah. Like, if I get, like, my OCD will spiral. Yeah, I don't want to. Okay, so we'll skip that. <laughs> okay, so then another thing that Aristotle is constantly talking about is easy and uncomplicated love. That is what he wants. So, Megan, my question for you is, how would you define easy and uncomplicated love? You're, you're both... Um... Just a couple of, um, I want to say like kindergartners. Yeah. It's easy. and <laughs> Love is work. <laughs> right? Love I, is work. And even, <clears throat> so as a teacher of kindergartners, they like are already like, you can't come to my birthday party. So like, oh, you know, you, there's not really a lot of uncomplicatedness in being a human being. No. And therefore, like, how we love each other and interact with each other is always going to be complicated. So what we're saying is that that's a pipe dream. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Un- I, I, I thought the same way, but I didn't know if you would have any sort of Gemini optimism. No, like, I, I would consider myself a romantic person. Me too. But, like, also a realist. Mm-hmm. And I think that things can be, oh, and I was just like, I don't know if I'm real that I'm a realist (laughs) no I I think I'm a romantic person but I'm also like a realist Mm -hmm. about things 
maybe some like optimistic part of me too is like the fact that you will work and mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. to take care of each other and make it through tough spots mm-hmm. is romantic yeah and so it's like you know the work mm-hmm. is important the work is love yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i can agree with that i when you were talking i thought about the um something i read about when i was in one of my psychology classes where romantic love persists but also evolves into companionship so it's like I think that that companionship is how I view what you were describing where you love one another and you do the work to maintain your relationship that's companionship like at a, at a certain point you cross a threshold into like this is my life partner for real mm-hmm and I want this person to be with me always, even though sometimes I want to fuck off and go live in the woods and leave everyone behind and be completely alone. You work through those feelings because you're like, at the end of the day, I'm still I'm still with the love of my life, the, my life partner. And right. so you recognize that as a cycle that you go through or something like mm-hmm. that. And that your partner goes through those cycles. And it's not easy. It's never easy. I mean, the fights that Dakota and I have gotten into, like, bro. The stews we've gotten into. I... <laughs> so for context, you guys, one time I asked Megan, because her and her husband, Andy, they're just like pacifist in my they're like they don't fight they're they not have like... a book about a stoic living in exile writing letters back to his family on the mainland <laughs> and that's what we read for bedtime mm-hmm. so um so i asked them one day i was like do you fight and megan's like we stew and i was like okay that makes sense <laughs> but dakota and i can both be assholes so we're we're like always challenging one another in that way not always but when we fight it's like a challenge like we're challenging you to like who's gonna win exactly and then we had to get done with that because it's not a competition so i don't think easy and uncomplicated love exists no no the stew is rich and flavorful and very complex Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. okay So my next question for you is, I'm going to flip the truth universally acknowledged just this one time, because I thought it would be better phrased if I asked you this way. Megan, what is one of the secrets of the universe that you discovered? Oh, I love that. (gasps) Right? I'm so proud. (laughs) So one of the things in the book that I really, really liked and thought showed that like Ari was growing and opening up a little bit was that Dante Mm -hmm. gave him... Um, books of poetry Mm -hmm. and he's sort of like learning things from it and like full disclosure I've never been a huge fan of most poetry I have tried and I find it tedious yes so I um I love a couplet (laughs) um so I also probably relate a little bit but it feels you know universal too Mm -hmm. so here it is um it's a quote from Ari I got to thinking that poems were like people. Some people you got right off the bat and some people you just didn't get and mm-hmm. never would get. Mm-hmm. So people are like poems. Mm-hmm. And some of them you're just never going to really be into. And some of yep. them you're like, 
is weird and dark and I'm into it. <laughs> is this my kink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of them are written by Emily Dickinson and have mm. tones of sapphic love. So Lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> you get into those. Mm. So that was my UT. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mine was a quote. Um, I know it com- doesn't come off like super positive, but it's one I already read um, where we were talking about his nihilism and existentialism. But the fact that he likes to be alone and not everyone understands that. And for me, I the older I've gotten, the more I've enjoyed being alone. And I've realized it's because at times my company was the best company that I could keep. And I think that that's actually healthy. Oh, yeah. Like, I know the situation surrounding why I liked being alone wasn't healthy, but becoming more confident in myself and content and at peace. Yes. I started to enjoy being alone. (laughs) And I know a lot of people don't get that. They think it's just like an immediate, like, why I don't get that. But extroverts. I know. What's it like to get energy from other people? Yeah, like the way that I ask that question is, how do you not lose energy when you're around people? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. It's so draining. Yes. Um, and I say that as a teacher of very, very young children. <laughs> Grown-ups are just as draining for me. Yeah. Maybe, yep. maybe more so. Uh, <clears throat> yes, because they're more complicated than kids. Oof. What are your also pure moment or moments? Um, hold, please. Okay, so um, it's, again, Ari, and he's talking about his father. And he the quote is... Um, and loved my father, too, for the careful way he spoke. I came to understand that my father was a careful man. To be careful with people and with words was a rare and beautiful thing. And I was like... I just got chills. Me, too. <sighs> this this book... Oh, my God. I know where <laughs> um, For the heavy themes unpacked in an easily digestible way, this book was so fucking wholesome. Yeah. I loved it. I, the one that I, that like literally left me squealing, um, was when, so Ari has like what a 1950 something Chevrolet truck that he refinishes and paints it. It's like a red pickup. Yeah. Like like a super, he he thinks it makes him more like Mexican. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And it's like really cool looking and he goes to pick Dante up. But then Dante's parents see it, and his dad is like, oh, man, this is so cool. (laughs) And uh, Dante or Aristotle looks at him, and he was just like, yeah, you want to take it for a test drive? And and (laughs) Sam is like, oh, my gosh, yes. And then Dante's mom comes out, and Ari kind of, like, notices them being, like, teenagers in love. Yeah. So... He tosses the keys over to Sam and says, why don't you take your girlfriend out for the night? Just make sure that you're back by like 11 or midnight or something like that. And he gives him the keys to his truck so that they can go on a date. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. That's so cute. Right? So pure. It's so pure. That's like a sitcom pure. I know. That's like leave it to be very pure. (laughs) For real. 
And then they just like watch his parent that watch Dante's parents drive off and Oh, and doesn't he say like he can see her lean her head over on to the yeah. She oh. like scoots closer to him and middle he, seat. <laughs> it's so cute. Um so yeah, that was my also pure moment. Awesome. Okay. I loved it. All right. Also just want to give a shout out for pureness to legs because we haven't really mentioned it oh. but i feel like that dog played a really big role in ari like opening up opening up and mm-hmm. processing things and like seeing how open a dog is mm-hmm. with their love mm-hmm. it's just like so amazing and mm-hmm. i feel like everybody should go adopt a dog if you have the time and mm-hmm. space for them so mm-hmm. just go do it absolutely adopt don't shop a hundred percent Okay, well, uh, the thing I want to sign off with, well, what I want to say before we sign off is... The rating. Oh, the rating. Oh, we can sh- do a quick one. I don't think we did the rating in the last book we did. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered that. Okay. Sheesh. So what did you rate it? I did. I give it a 9 out of 10. Really? Nice. It's like one of the high... Like, for yeah. what it is, it yes. does it so well. Yes. I actually did the same. I did 9 out of 10 because I was just like... <gasps> It's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, the only reason that I rated it without, like, I didn't go, like, 10 out of 10 was just, like, at times I did find Ari pretentious as fuck. So tiring. I was like, bro, okay, like, you're 15, I get it. I was like this too, but I'm also 33. (laughs) And what you're making big deals out of doesn't need to be a big deal. Yeah. 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 So that was the only reason. I just found I found it a little ugh, at mm-hmm. times a little too much. Ari, a little a little bit more Dante, a little less Ari. Mm-hmm. The balance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, awesome. Yeah. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten on both sides. Check it out. Yes, absolutely. And so I know with us coming back from our hiatus, like our listens are pretty low right now. I mean, we haven't put anything out in a while, but when we put this one out, like it really does mean a lot to us when other people listen. It's not like we want to like commodify what we're doing in any way. Um, It is a creative project for us, but liking subscribing sharing with your friends like it would mean so much to us give us us a cookie we like them so much i'm and i there's got to be people out there that enjoy this kind of stuff and it's like if you don't but you know someone who will like send them that way or send us that way to them let us let us project our voices into your ears Mm -hmm. and um smash that subscribe button Yeah, I think um, on Apple Podcasts, they can actually leave us a review as well. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool, too. That would if be cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have <laughs> feedback for us, like constructive criticism, just be nice about it. Don't be a dick. I think we've said that several times on here. Just don't be a dick. Like That's our second tagline. Yeah, for real. Because <laughs> um, we are absolutely open to ever evolving our perspective on things and bettering ourselves so yeah but we just would like to interact with you guys way more than we already are we want to read some of your opinions on books that we've read we want to we're going to bring leslie on here um megan's taking a picture of me we're going to bring leslie the artist on here for our podcast art she uh actually 
had she won an award it was like a nationally recognized award for her art that she did for our podcast we're going to be mentioned in a magazine yeah like we're so we're going to bring her on here as a special guest but you know if you're interested in talking to us about these things too like let us know we really do want to talk to you she won the 2023 graphic design usa national magazines american digital design award like the american digital design award for our podcast art what a badass bitch leslie thank you so much no one works harder and is Mm. more talented i've said that before and i will say it again because it is a very true Mm -hmm. universal truth (laughs) yes yes probably the reason we're gonna get any more listeners would be like because of this award that's going to be and our podcast is going to be mentioned in this magazine yeah we'll just leave you with that we are gonna go get brunch now yes i'm super fucking stoked about that uh we'll get some photos up on the podcast soon mm-hmm. and you know what was it stay curious that's i think jonathan van ness's oh yeah that's right that's right um, uh think on it go yeah go and think on it Maybe it was Stay Curious. I can't remember. Oh, wow. Okay. Dude, we it's been too long since we've done this. Let me look. <laughs> Part Stay of me is like... Stay Curious and Think On It. I think you're right. Stay Curious and Think On It? Yeah. Okay. So, we can go, we can go back to it. <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> Stay Curious and Think On It. <laughs> Bye. Bye.